Hello and welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Johnson. We are so grateful that you've joined us once again. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. And this is going to be a verse-by-verse episode with Rick Maynard. Welcome in, Rick. Thank you. It's good to be back again. If you're new or you don't listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast on a regular basis, what we do is we have a weekly episode with verse-by-verse via Rick Maynard. He's a teacher here at Grace Point Church taking people through the Bible each and every week on a verse-by-verse basis. For So for those of you that love that kind of thing, which we all should, but if you're really into that kind of thing, this is the episode you want to check out each and every week. We're heading to the end of 2 Samuel. Is that correct, Rick? That is. So let's, 24-7. All right. Well, let's dive into it. Okay. Uh, where we were before, I won't read the verse real quick here, but we're, where we've been is uh, David has decided to take a census. Uh, he's... Uh, not supposed to be doing what he's doing. Uh, we find out that he uh, suffers as a result of that, but he decides to go on and do something that God said not to do just because of his pride and his curiosity and what he uh, wanted to do for himself when he wanted to know about his own army uh, so he could pat himself on the back, basically, was what was going on. So uh, so Joab is uh, his commander. He's been sent out to do this census to count how many families, how many fighting men there are, And in verse uh, 7, it's talking about just traveling between towns. If you were listening before, we mentioned a few places that he's already been. But it says in verse 7, Then they went toward the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Finally, they went on to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. Uh, Dan to Beersheba, if you ever hear that mentioned, it's just talking about from the north to the south, uh, covering that entire territory. So verse 8 says, After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. So whether it took them that long, whether they stalled, um, you know, there's, we'll see some numbers here that they come up with about how many that they had. Uh, they mentioned these in that previous verse, the Hivites and the Canaanites. Uh, those were people who were really not even supposed to be still living in the land. Uh, David had been commanded to drive them out Mm -hmm. and the armies and the people when they crossed uh, the Jordan into the land of promise they were supposed to get rid of all them Uh, they didn't do it and so they say they are still there but they you know act as uh, respectable citizens they're paying their taxes Uh, they're doing what they're supposed to do I think it's kind of interesting now with all the controversy about border crossings and those kind of things, and this was just an example of people who did settle and were not, uh, they were, they might have been originally illegal, but then they did the right things to, you know, to become legal and pay their taxes and do the kind of things they were supposed to be doing, so. Are you uh, trying to throw some politics in the show uh, here? No, Rick? no, 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 no <laughs> nothing like that, nothing like that, so. <laughs> We better move right along right. now, so not even stop there, but, um, and that, there's, when you read through this, there's several uh, versions, several opinions, and you know you can't put words in somebody's mouth. You can't uh, know what they were thinking, but a lot of that, when you read commentaries and historical historical events, they do that. They say he might have been thinking this, he might have been thinking that, and you know most of that's based on um, you know good information. It's not just somebody coming up with a story to make it interesting, but yeah. they think maybe that the reason it took so long, Joab knew that this was wrong. He tried to talk David out of it, 
And some people think that it took that long because he kept stalling, hoping that David would change his mind and say, never mind, I don't even want to know how many there are, that David would come to his senses. Uh, Verse 9, Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. Now, this is another thing. I was just mentioning, you know, we put thoughts in people's mind. Well, this is when people do all this study and they come up with all these different numbers and we look at the Bible and if you look at people who are not Christians, they're always trying to find something to say that the Bible contradicts itself. And a lot of times in in numbers, not the book of numbers, but in numbering things, that's where you'll find um, not controversy but differences. And you'll find some differences here because in First Chronicles 21.5, which is kind of the, it's the same stories with different information. And so in that verse it says, Joab reported the number of fighting men to David in all Israel. There were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. So uh, we just had a report that there were 800,000 and 500,000, and now it says uh, 1,000,000. Uh, 100,000 and 470,000. So they're different numbers. I think the simplest explanation that I ran across uh, in 21.6, it says, but Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. So even though Joab went out and counted the people, there he reports himself or Uh, it's reported about him that he left out those two tribes. He was so really irritated with David over doing this that he even came to the point where he said, you know what, I'm not even going to count these Hmm. two tribes. And so there was a different number or possibly a different number. The other explanation in uh, 1 Chronicles 27.1, it says there were 288,000 that were already in the army. So they're not counting the ones that are already there, in other words. They're just counting the ones who were potential soldiers. Okay. And so, uh, you know, and then there's the, the whole idea of round numbers. You know, many times in the Bible it says there was 500,000, 500, maybe there was 513,000 or, yep. uh, you know, round numbers. So the Bible, you cannot pull these things out and try to say that the Bible contradicts itself because one place <laughs> right. says— 500 and someplace else says 470. Uh, there's uh, lots of different opinions, lots, lots of different uh, explanations for it. So anyway, and for us, most people would say, what difference does it make? And the only reason I even bring them up is just because of that fact that we need to be able to explain to people sometimes because they pull these things up. Well, yeah. here it says this, and over here it says that. Well, the Bible's not even true, you know. And we look at... Um, uh, well, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you know, you have the telling of the same stories with different information. Yeah. So one guy didn't always know every detail, but it has nothing to do with our salvation. Yeah. Even today, I, I find that interesting. Uh, culturally, with technology, etc., you'll it could it could be a political rally or something like that, and they say four hundred thousand. It could be a uh, the Patriots mm-hmm. parade right. for two million people, sh- like right. exactly two million. You know, and yeah. I think it's kind of that thing, right? A right. little bit. And how do you know? You know, they what do they do? Fly over with a drone, and you know, say, well, 
you know, you can put so many people in a square feet, square foot, and this is how many square feet they covered, and there's no way to know. So anyway, we'll move on from there, but that's just explanation for some of that. 2410, this is after all the counting is done. They come back and they report these numbers to David, and it's really interesting that Joab was so adamant to try to talk David out of it. But as soon as he comes back, in verse 10, it says, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Uh, the King James, I'm reading out of the NIV, but the King James says, and David's heart smote him. Almost immediately when those words came out of their mouth about how many men there were, he began to feel bad. Hmm. And I, I think it's so amazing, you know, the Bible, we think about these guys that they were different than us. You know, they were so much different. They were such godly people, and they never made a mistake. Right. And, <laughs> you know, like, like they were not humans that sit around like, like we do. And it's the same thing for, for us when we sin. You know, we do things, and I know we say, oh, yeah, but this was a big thing. Well, does it really seem like a big thing? counting how many people there were. Right. That doesn't even seem like a sin to me. Yeah. But for us, we tend to look at things, you know, in degrees of how bad the sin was, but we do the same thing. We keep thinking, well, you know, this is not that bad. It's not that bad. And then we do it, and almost as soon as we do it, you know, we walk away with this guilt feeling. And, uh, you know, and I've done it. I mean, I've done those things in my life where as soon as it was done— Oh man, I wish I hadn't done that, you know. And it's even uh, later on in the New Testament. I know th- that passage of Paul. I do what I don't do. I mm-hmm. I want to, but I do. I d-. and a lot of people are like, "What was he really talking about?" But I, I think it's just there's a, some commonality to that. Is right. that it's it's part of our nature, you know? Yeah, it is. As long as it doesn't send us off the cliff per se in our faith, we're not perfect, right? And you know, it's hard to get over that guilt sometimes, but. Uh, but anyway, I said King James, or King James. King James says, and David's heart smote him. Uh, he was guilt-stricken immediately. The the part of David that makes him that man after God's own heart is when he made mistakes, he admitted to it. And that was, you know, he says, "I have sinned. I have sinned greatly. I am guilty. I've done a foolish thing. I've done a very foolish thing." I mean, he he wastes no time. Once he feels that guilt in in admitting to what he's done, and I, you know, I struggle with that sometimes admitting to things, you know, because we like to, well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> you don't understand what I was going through, and you don't understand, and yeah. Lord, you know, you understand how I felt, and you know, you shouldn't hold this against me, but David knew when it was wrong, it was wrong. Yeah, it was time to admit it. Uh, Verse 11, before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to God, come to Gad, the prophet David's seer. This is really difficult because when I read this, Gad and God seem to get a little confused Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) They're not confused. I'm confused. But David's seer, uh, if you look at the issue of the seer, most of us in our culture today, we think about a seer as that, you know, the woman that's on Oprah Winfrey or something, and she's, 
you know, telling somebody about their uh, great grandfather that's in heaven and, you know, yeah. he has a word for them and, you know, he's saying he still loves you and he understands and, you know, they have all these general things. And that person's usually standing there just crying because, you know, man, they really read their mail. Well, you know, almost anybody, I mean, you can, if you're good at reading people, and unfortunately, I, I believe I've seen it in the church. I've seen where someone comes and they think that someone has a little downcast look. So all of a sudden it's like, the Lord tells me that you're sad or the Lord tells me that you're depressed or something. And they, you know, they play on it to make it sound like God spoke. Sure. When, yeah. For the most part, everybody can see that, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. something in their nature. No, I actually just checked your Facebook page. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That's, that could happen Your today. Instagram. Uh-huh. But the seer was, really, the seer and the prophet are the same word or same meaning behind uh, what they do. And so this gad that comes to David, but they say the difference usually with the seer and with the prophet is that the seer is for a personal, in other words, a guy has his personal seer. He has, David had this man of wisdom to come forward, to ask advice, to hear from God. So it wasn't like, okay, he was just a wise man. He was a wise man that heard from God. And, you know, and we all need that. We all need those people in our lives that we can, you know, go to and say, you know, I don't know what to do in this situation. You know, is is God telling you something in this situation? And, uh, again, most of us don't want to do that because we want to think we can do it ourselves. So they were considered a prophet and a seer were one and the same, or if you were a prophet, you were also a seer, or well, they're does pretty that much, question make sense? Yeah, pretty much one and the same, except the seer was usually for one person. Okay. A person had Got a it. seer. The prophet spoke to the nation or whatever. And so uh, that was the difference here. So this, it, and it says, I love this, it says, before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad. So while David is asleep, God is speaking to someone to come to him. And I think that's, it's a word for all of us. You know, I'm not a seer. I don't have a title over me. There's been very few times in my life that I have really felt impressed to um, speak a word over somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, God said to tell you this. God said to... Uh, to say this to you, very few times that's ever happened. But I think we need to pay attention when we're asleep and we wake up with things on our mind that maybe that's the opportunity that God's God wants to speak. Yep. Because we're, it's the only time he can get us quiet enough and not thinking about other things. Yeah. And I think in dreams. You know, I, I dream almost every night. Most of it's foolishness. But uh, I think we need to pay attention to what God speaks mm-hmm. while we sleep. Yep. You know, those things that he may have something for, uh, for us in the night. And so, anyway, you're seeking counsel really from a, uh, a wiser person. And I think I've heard you talk about it, and I've had people in my life, mentors. Yeah. And they were people we could trust yep. to speak over us Yeah, and listen to what they had to say. So... Yeah, and that, and that's another subject. But find you know, uh, finding a, a great seer is is finding 
the right the right balance of someone who loves you but someone who can really speak genuine truth to right. you it's like when i used to be a judge for uh, uh fine arts which is like music and things like that for right. kids i always called it the don't ask your mom principle like don't just you know if you're working to become a better singer musician right. just just don't ask your mom about that stuff right because she's going she's supposed to tell you she mm-hmm. loves you yeah. <laughs> so she's not going to tell you if you're bad or whatever so it's you know that's a finding the right seer in your life is an important thing someone who can love genuinely love you but call you out at the same time and i think that's a relationship that develops you know i know we have sometimes people that have uh, kind of a gift of the prophetic or the gift of whatever encouragement or uh, whatever it may be, there are people who are, are gifted in that area. But usually it's somebody, your mentors are usually those people that you've had a long-term relationship. Yeah. You know, that they know you well enough that when you say something, they know how you mean it and what your thoughts are behind that and what provoked that thought mm-hmm. uh, coming to you. So, you know, we all need that. And, I, you know, it's not like you just go out and like, okay, I'm looking for a mentor. Uh, mentors just become that to you. And that's why, I know we've talked about it here before, I think that's why it's important for uh, church, for your life to stay uh, stable mm-hmm. in things. Yep. If you're looking for a mentor, you're probably no, not going to find it if you uh, change churches every year. Yeah. You know, because yeah. there's never going to be anybody stable enough in that year's time to know you well enough that you're going to have that kind of a relationship. So if you're looking for it, you're probably not going to find it by um, running around shopping yeah. for a mentor. It's yeah. a relationship that uh, develops. And in this case, I, one of the commentaries made a statement that said, David will ask you such and such. This is what you are to answer him. That's the kind of relationship the seer had with God, is God was saying, okay, David's going to say this, and I want you to say this. And... Anyway, verse 12 says, Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to give you three options. Choose one of them for for me to carry out against you. And this is God's mercy. This doesn't happen often. You know, I don't know of any case in my (laughs) lifetime that I've seen this kind of a response that, okay, here's your punishment. Now, maybe parents might do that with their kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, parents even just say, this is your punishment. You know, they don't yeah. say, okay, here's your choice. You know, you can be grounded for a week. You cannot have TV for a week. You cannot have your phone for a week. Which one of those things do you want? Most parents just tell you. But I, it, it was mentioned about God's mercy in this situation that he was allowing somebody else to even make the decision, even though he was going to punish them. The decision was made to punish, but God's mercy says, I'm going to let you decide how this, you know, how this plays out. And, <laughs> and God's mercy, he could have inflicted all three of them. He could have not even warned them that it was coming and just brought whatever the, the plague or whatever it was uh, down on those people. So he gives David the option. Now, the, the interesting thing, it's David who sinned. Now, there's some argument that the people should have protested, the people should have done this, the people should have done that, but it was David's sin that of uh, counting people, but people are going to suffer as a result of that. And so those three options are not options for David's punishment. They're options of how the people of Israel are going to be punished. Yeah. 
And I think that's a, a ideal thing for all of us. And it's not just pastors. You know, we could stand here and, and say, you know, well, pastor, you have this responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and if you sin, the whole church is going to be punished because you sinned. You know, we could put that great burden on the pastor of the church to try yep. to make him. And you are responsible. You do have responsibility to the people. Yeah. But you know what? I can do that as not even just in leadership, you know, being a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, just as a, a person who comes to the church that you can be responsible for a lack of the move of God in church. Yeah. Because you weren't, because you had secret sin or whatever. And we have illustrations in the Bible, and that's a whole other story, but we have yep. illustrations where the people suffered for one man's sin, and that's about what's going to happen here. And there's, yeah, and just with that, the only thing I want to say was, is that the thing we forget in our Christianity is that there, there are consequences to our sin, even when we're saved yes. and we mess up or we do something wrong. Sometimes there's consequences to that. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I, I know I've sat down and talked with people like that just expect, you know, that we're just in this era of grace and, and we are, but yet they're still today, if we sin, there's a consequence to that, and most likely our sin, like you just brought up, affects other people. It does. And along with that, taking on, I think one of the things, hopefully, I think I've gotten more of this mentality the last few years, that we have to take on a collective responsibility as the people of God, as the church. Like you're just bringing up as a pastor, like I don't get as uh, as stressed out anymore over uh, numbers or things of that nature because... It's not all my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes people, I had someone come up the other day and say, oh, I really want more people in the church. Do something about it. Right. You know, right. I, I mean, that doesn't really move me. That used to probably offend me a lot more, but it's like that person needs to understand what are, what, so what are you saying? Are you saying that's my responsibility or are you saying that's your mm-hmm. responsibility or, you know, my response is, have you done anything to participate right. in what you're communicating that you want? as a member of the body of Christ. So if that's what you want, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've done? Mm-hmm. That's a real burden from the Lord, how you're processing that and right. coming to be a part of that. Right. And if the answer is nothing, then probably, you know, I don't acknowledge you. They do. <laughs> they do expect you to do it all. That's the, that is the, uh, the idea. They expect you to do it all. And I, you know, I think about these things and, and we don't always, the difference is we don't always have this information in front of us. So, you know, you have to be careful when you talk about these kind of things because you don't want to say that, you know, Jesus rebuked people for blaming an illness on sin in their life. You know, mm-hmm. who sinned? You know, Job's friends were uh, critical of him. You must have done something wrong to deserve this. Well, sometimes that is the truth. Sometimes we have brought something on ourselves, and and until we get it straightened out, we're going to struggle with it. Yeah. And... And so, you know, there's, I don't even remember any of the words to the song, but there was a song one time, and the the basis of it was, Lord, move or move me. And that's a hard prayer. Yeah. Because I can sit in the church my whole life, and and then to have to say, you know, am I the problem? You know, did I think I was the solution, you know, and I was the one that was helping to bring revival and the move of God in the church, and then to find out that I'm the hindrance to that, 
But you know, you better be able to hear from God to know that. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> if I'm if I'm more of a hindrance than a help, then get me out of the way so you can move. But but I thought about uh, it. It's kind of a crazy illustration, but you know, if when I played basketball, it was we we used to shoot free throws, and when one guy you would line up and a guy'd shoot the free throw. And if he made it, he'd go around to the back of the line to come back around again. Next guy shoots a free throw. If he misses it, everybody runs a lap. Oh, yeah. In practice, yep. (laughs) I remember those days. Yes. So, (laughs) uh, you know, so there is something that works when you become corporate as a body working together. It's like if you miss on something, we're all going to suffer as a result of that. And I've prayed many times, you know, in my my – study time for teaching a class, you know, there's been weeks when things uh, happen and I don't get to study as much. And I say they happen. It's things I probably could have prevented. But, you know, Monday comes and it's like, well, this happened and this happened and I didn't get to study like I should have. And then this happens and this happens. And then maybe I'm sick one day or, uh, you know, and before long it's Saturday and I haven't done as much as I should have done. And because I don't throw my lesson together on Saturday night. You know, I start Monday morning preparing for, for the next Sunday. And so, um, but I've, I've thought many times, Lord, don't let them suffer. Don't let my class suffer for my lack of, of study this week. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what David's doing. You know, don't let these people suffer. I did this. And he said, I acted foolishly. And I sinned. He didn't try to blame it on anybody else. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we have to pray that way. Lord, don't let them suffer as a result of what I've done. In this case, it didn't work. They are going to suffer. But I hate to jump ahead and tell you the rest of the story and ruin it for you, but, but they're going to suffer. Yep. So twenty-four thirteen. so Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? <laughs> now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. Now, I wouldn't want to be... I'm taking the plague. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the messenger in these <laughs> uh, situations. But he knew uh, what his sin was. And in this case, when when Gad comes to him, he just admits to the sin. And it's straightforward. There's no beating around the bush. You know what you've done. In other words, David knows what he's done. Now here's the punishment. And I thought about that in relationship to when Nathan came to David before over Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. He had to tell him some other story. Uh, he started talking about, you know, this one guy had a 100 sheep, and this guy only had one, and the guy with a 100 came and took the other guy's sheep. And David was just furious over that story, you know, how one man could take from another man. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan had to say, you are that man. In other words, yeah. David never even saw his own sin until Nathan brought it out. This case, I think we talk about David learning some lessons. I think David maybe learned a lesson. You know, when he began to talk and say, this is what's happened, David was real quick to say, it was me in this in this situation. So um, it wasn't going to just affect David. It was going to affect all the people. And he didn't, you know... The thing is, we like to, and of course I've called it not a uh, original phrase necessarily, but the abuse of grace. 
And, you know, we believe, you know, we hear these things in our life about forgiveness. God forgives. God forgets. You know, he's cast it into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hear those things so much that we become uh, calloused. And we start thinking, well, all I got to do is say I'm sorry. Right. And it's, you know, and it's all. Ta- yeah. No consequences, yeah. right? I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. As soon as I say I'm sorry, then God forgives me and I can just go on with business as usual. And maybe I'll have a little guilt, but, you know, so what? I can, you know, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's people who do things knowing that they're going to be in trouble, but they'll say, well, it was worth, it was worth the consequences, you know. They can have a bad relationship and say, well, you know, it was worth it for one night of fun, you know, and I'll ask, for, I'll ask God's forgiveness tomorrow. You know, that's how we treat grace Yeah, is I'll go, ahead, I'll go ahead and sin, you know, and then I have grace to, to cover me later. So David said, verse 14, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into the hands of men. And so when David begins to weigh these options of what, um, what to do, I tried to think, you know, what, how would I respond to God saying, okay, here's three things. Uh-huh. You know, I'm going to give you three. <laughs> and it may not be the, those three things because it's a whole different story for David, but three things in my life. You know, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this. I'm going to cause this to happen in your life. I would think that in that case, I would think which thing is going to cause me the less amount of stress. So I'd look at those three things and say, okay, well, number three would probably be better for me. (laughs) So we'll take number three, not even really thinking about uh, the people. And again, we don't know what they thought, but with three years of famine, uh, it wouldn't really affect David because... I mean, he's the king. He's got a storehouse full of food, and, you know, he's not going to go hungry with three years of famine, but the people will be hungry. Mm-hmm. Three years of war or three months of war, uh, David's not going to die. He don't have to go fight. He could hide out in the castle and not be killed in war. So the people even could have thought, well, that's not much of a punishment. And we don't know if the people knew about all this or if this is just strictly between Gad and David and God, uh, we don't know. And there's there's some of the teaching that they believe that David actually did choose the plague in the end, or that Gad kind of pointed toward that with some of the wording that Gad was even trying to say, this is probably <laughs> going to be the best yeah. solution to this. Yeah, I would have chose the plague. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing... Just get it over with yeah. as hard and short as possible. Yep, yep. And who knows how many people because it doesn't tell you how many yeah. how many you're going to lose either you know right in, right in those things but i i just would have thought of what's the least that's going to uh, that's going to hurt me so the lord sent a plague verse 15 on israel from that morning till the end of the time designated and 70,000 of the people from dan to beersheba died and if you if you think about the cause for David's sin was his pride in counting how many men he had, and the punishment for his sin was the lessening of that number of people. So they counted them, 
And then because of David's sin, he lost 70,000 right off the yeah. bat. I said, God knows, God knows what's important to us. God knows how to punish us. And I love what David said because we think David is a, uh, or that God is this mean God that's going to do these things. And David repented, but you're still going to take these people's lives. And, you know, we can think he's a mean God. But David said, God is just. Yep. God knows how to punish. I'd rather have God judge me than to have man judge me. Well, on Sunday morning, we sang that song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, popular, kind of older tune now. But I remember uh, the, the bridge of that song says, you give and take away, you give yes. and take away. And I remember one time when that song was becoming really popular uh, in, in its time, not that it's that necessarily crazy old, but I think mm-hmm. 10 years old or something now, probably a little more than that. But I remember people changed that line because they're like, God doesn't take away. Mm-hmm. He's not a God who takes away. And I was just confused by that. I'm like, you know, we read passages like this that God mm-hmm. does take away from us. Yes. Um, after, you know, after conversion, after following Christ, I mean, obviously, again, this is Old Testament, but God is a God who gives, but he takes away. And here, the result of David's sin and disobedience and lack of trust, pride, etc., led to God having to take away right. things from him well, that would bring him back to him, ultimately. I mean, Job was the one who made the, the probably the statement that the song's based on. It says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but then he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, you know, so that's probably where those words come from. I don't know that much about the uh, origin of the song necessarily, but um, I've always I've always looked at that, and I don't. We may be running out of time here, but I've always looked at it, and not to blame God for everything, but you know, God either does it or He allows it. So yeah, you know, and I don't see a lot of difference there. A lot of people try to explain that and how that works, but I always explained it. If I were standing out here in front of the church and one of the little kids from the church was about to run out in front of a car and I just stood there and, and didn't do anything, well, I didn't run over the kid, but I didn't stop it. So is it the same thing, not doing something or allowing it to happen, mm-hmm. isn't it the same thing almost as actually being the one driving the car? Yeah. You know? And so there's a really fine line between what God does and what God allows in these situations. Here, just pretty plain and simple, God did this, brought that yep. plague. Yeah. So, wow. Interesting story, uh, Life of David, moving on to the end of Second Samuel. Anything, any closing thoughts there, Rick, For we'll, we'll close on that for the day? But. No, I just think we all ought to learn a lesson again from David in this story. Uh, be quick to admit guilt and quick to say, Lord, you know, I shouldn't take this so lightly. And if I have a punishment, then let me have it. You know, we all deserve <laughs> it. But I'm thankful mercy and grace keeps us from getting what we deserve. Yeah. Many times. Yeah. Help us, Lord. So anyway, hey, we're so grateful that you're joining us on this episode, verse by verse edition. Keep reading the Bible with us. I challenge you again, as we're diving into the the year, we're already in February, that you're just going through God's word this year and letting God speak new things to you, challenge you with new things, letting letting him open your eyes to new realities and new truths that are applicable to your life. So God bless you. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.